I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. All right. Hello, I am Jimbo Paris, and welcome to the Jimbo Paris Show. Today we have Noelle. This is going to be a very interesting interview. Let's see what she has to say. Hello, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me. It's my privilege. Yes. So can you give me a bit of a summary of who you are, what you're about, and what your message is? Yeah. So again, my name is Noelle, and I am a wellness coach who focuses on growth and mindset. And I got into the wellness space early on in my life. I was about 17 years old, and I started as a fitness instructor. And from there, I pursued a degree in exercise science. And I really got into the wellness space for kind of all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, with diet culture, all the pressures of looking a certain way, that's really why I pursued that degree. And I wanted to look a certain way. And I actually promoted weight loss and being skinny and toned and all the things. And, um, you know, I... Finally got my degree in exercise science and I became a director at a YMCA. Um, still kind of in those same mindsets though, still about the weight loss, still about not the healthy part, not realizing about the mindset. And about three years ago, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and that's when my world, I kind of, everything kind of came to surface and I'm like, why am I doing this? Why, why is this my life? And that's when I started my mindset journey. I dug into personal development, self-growth, all of that stuff. And I realized how many women are going through what I've gone through. So in my journey to find my passion and my purpose, um, I use that journey to help other women and really just people in general to find their purpose and to work on the internal wellness rather than than the external wellness, or at least work on the internal wellness before you chase those external wellnesses. Because once you hit that external wellness, you're like, okay, now what? So it's really important to work on what's going on inside. Great story. And my big question is, what happened at Nashville that sort of gave you that epiphany? Yeah, So when I was in, I'm originally from Pennsylvania and that's where my journey started. I was, you know, from a very small town population, like 2000 people. So moving from there to Nashville was a big change. I also had recently gone through some other traumatic events, like my mother being addicted to drugs and all of that stuff. So once I came to Nashville, I I think it was that I thought I was going to run away from all my problems just because I was changing my location. But then when I changed my location, I was there and I was just like, oh, wait, like all these problems came with me and they actually were intensified because I took myself out of the situation. And I think that's what really made me and forced me to check on what's going on inside. And it is very hard to escape those types of experiences. Um, Yeah. When it comes to suicide prevention, do you have any sort of 
sympathy or understanding of what those other people are going through? Let me say this. Did you have any um, specific moments or experiences that you had that sort of helped fuel those things? Yeah. So I, suicide prevention is very, very near and dear to my heart. Um, And when I was in college, I actually had an attempt myself. And, you know, I went through therapy once I came to Nashville, once I, all those issues surfaced. But even in Nashville, you know, I had those thoughts before I went to therapy. And that's why it's just so important to be there for people. You know, you never know what they're going through. And if you're having those feelings, it, it there's nothing wrong with going to therapy and, and getting it taken care of. There's nothing wrong with that. How did you take control of your life and sort of fight through these issues and become the woman you are today? Yeah, it it's such a like a scrambled journey that that happened. I feel like everything that happened in my life from the time I moved to Nashville until now, I something, you know, it, it was it was God's work for sure. I became a sales representative for a company that sells vacation memberships. And when I was there, that was like my, after a year of being in Nashville. And I read my first personal development book. I met my best, someone who's now my best friend. And I also met my boyfriend, my current boyfriend there. So I started to find a support system that naturally kind of came into my life. And I also realized the importance. It was just, it just took that first personal development book. And it was, it was actually, you are a badass at making money, but I think some of the practices in it, I don't necessarily agree with, but what it made me realize is that I actually am meant for something and that I'm not um, inferior to everyone else, because that's a common thought that I had all my life is that Everyone is superior to me and I'm inferior to everyone. I don't know why that that was my mindset, but but that's how I felt. And that book kind of opened my eyes like, no, like you can achieve what other people are achieving. There's no reason you can't be achieving those things. And there's no reason that you're not worth what other people are worth. And I think that's when like the door started opening. And then it was just like one thing to the next to the next it was kind of like a spiral effect. And, you know, it, there were lows, there were definitely lows in this journey because there always is when you're going through a self-healing journey, you're going to hit some real lows because you're actually opening up things that you didn't even realize. I had suppre- like suppressed memories come up during that time. And I had to force myself to sit with my feelings. And it, that's hard. That's hard for anyone. But if you want to heal, you have to face your feelings. So that book you referenced. Yeah. What I find funny is you said you hated the book, but at the same time, the book changed you in a sense. Yeah. So was it sort of your distaste for the book that kind of fueled you? I want to know. <laughs> no, I didn't hate the book. I, I enjoyed the book, but there's some things in it that I didn't necessarily agree with, you know, but it, but it was just, one of her main messages was that if other, basically if other people are doing it, you can do it. Like you are, you're worth it. You're worth it. And that's like the main thing that I took from the book. And, and 
Because again, me putting other people in a more superior position than myself, I thought, you know, I can never have money. I can never have success. I can never have solid relationships in my life. They were the lies that I was telling myself over and over again. And that book was basically saying that they're not true. Those those thoughts aren't true. And and that was probably the biggest hurdle that I had to get over. And it's still something that I have to work on because I've talked so terribly to myself all those years. I mean, I could remember back from the time I was 10 years old when I started to have those types of thoughts. And that takes a while to heal from. What do you think caused those thoughts to appear to you in the beginning? There's, I think about that often. And there's a few things that I could think of possibly, you know, I have, I had a very, very strong like friend group when I was a little kid, there were like five of us and we were best friends. But I always was a little more chubby. I wasn't as adventurous as the other ones. And I think I honestly think that that's where it all began. Just because it made me think, oh, I'm not as pretty or skinny as them. And at that age, especially that's when like the diet culture was very, very prominent. So I'm 10 years old and I'm seeing these magazines that are saying, lose weight, do this to lose weight. And I mean, 10 years old, I remember drinking Slim Fast. <laughs> and that's that's craziness for a 10-year-old. And my mom actually, because she suffered with a lot of her own insecurities, she didn't want me to go through the, the same things. So she you know, supported that. She supported me drinking the Slim Fast and not wanting to be chubby because she didn't want me to feel like she did. You know, that wasn't the best way to go about it, obviously, but that's just, she did the best she could with, with what she knew. So, so yeah. And as we continue talking about this, do you believe, or when did you actually realize that you weren't the only person going through those types of thoughts? Yeah, it actually wasn't until, because what I realized, I was being very self-centered and only looking in towards myself. It wasn't until I just, I kind of started the process of doing my own healing journey. And I started to get outside of myself a little bit. And I realized, oh my gosh, like if I'm feeling this way, how many other women are feeling this way? Like it can't just be me. And, and that was the part of, you know, reading the self-help books and, and sitting with my feelings. So it, was, it really was kind of just in the beginning of my healing journey when I realized, okay, I'm not the only one that's going through this. There's no way. And something inside of me just felt like, okay, I, I feel like I'm meant to help other people. Is that why you have You Are Enough tattooed on your right hand? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I don't know if you could see it. <laughs> yeah, it is. So me and my boyfriend actually went through a breakup earlier in the year. We are back together, but it, it was because I was in a space where I needed to just focus on myself. And again, just part of that self-healing journey. That's why I got that tattoo. And I actually got the semicolon as well, which represents and symbolizes suicide prevention. So and what's your significance with the two words, be still? Yeah, so it's it's 
it's so funny when I think back to my tattoos, it takes me right back to those moments in my life. And I am someone who feels like they need control of every, I want to control everything, all the steps ahead of me. I'm like, I've always been somebody who's naturally like 10 steps ahead. And, you know, when my mom was going through her addiction, I mean, I was in, I was in college and I felt like I was a support system for my family because I feel like they didn't know how to deal with it. So I felt the need because, you know, I, I just feel what people are feeling. I'm very empathic. So I felt like, okay, I need to step up because I, I, I don't want them to be feeling this way. So how can I help and how can I take care of it? So it was during that time when I got that tattoo, when she was going through that. And, and it was my reminder that, you know, I can't control what my mom is doing at this point. Because of course, there was some thoughts of oh, like blame on myself or like, maybe I could fix this or maybe I caused it. You know, all those thoughts do come up. But it was during that time I had to realize like, no, this is, this is a her thing. And there's, there's nothing that I can necessarily do about it. And while also dealing with your, your, you know, your, your problems on the side there, how did you handle eating disorders? Yeah. (laughs) So I went, I basically started my eating disorders probably when I was 10 years old, when I was drinking that slim fast, you know, that's when my relationship with food became bad. It became negative, but I went undiagnosed for years and years and years because my family didn't want to accept it. I don't think, and I can't really speak for them, but I felt like Now on the outside looking in, I feel like they didn't want to accept that. They, they like to put on the persona, like everything's fine. Everything's good. We're a big, happy family and everyone's great. I did see a therapist when I was in like my freshman year of college when my mom was like, actually did. She's like, okay, maybe you do need to see a therapist. And that's when she diagnosed me, but I told my mom, I don't want to go anymore. And she's like, okay. So I stopped seeing her. And then I saw a therapist when I came to Nashville and, you know, we, we dug into that more and kind of realizing it wasn't about the food. It was about my control issues that, you know, and that, and that's very common with eating disorders that, that it's a control thing. I felt like it's something that I could control, but yeah, I, I went a lot of my life just with this. Literally, food and losing weight was the top thing on my mind at all times from 10 years old until like 18 years old. And that's just wild to me. That's so much wasted energy and, and time. And I remember vacations with my family, knowing that I had to be in a bathing suit. I've ruined my vacation every single time I went on a vacation. I never enjoyed it because I was, I was panicked about my body image. It's so, it's wild to think of, but yeah. I want to get more in depth on your idea of control. Yeah. What do you define having control issues as, and how do you think you could help other people deal with the same control issues that you overcame? Yeah, my, so to me, what my control, control issues are, 
is having to, I'm, I've always struggled with being present, thinking about the time that we have right now and, you know, monetizing on that and, and finding the joy in this, this moment right here. I'm typically like a to-do list person, but I'm like two weeks ahead. Like I'm looking at a to-do list two weeks later, wasting my time now, focusing on what's going to happen two weeks, which may or may not even happen, right? You know, if we're thinking that far ahead, so many things could change in that in that period of time. And I think a lot of people are actually do that. They're just so far ahead of the game. They're focused on this end goal or this, the steps that are going to happen two weeks or three weeks from now. When if we focus on what's going on right now, at the end of the day, that's what's going to help us get to the end goal. Let's take action right now. Let's be present right now. And again, I think a lot of society thinks, you know, once I have this, then I'll be happy. Once I accomplish this, then I'll be happy. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions of life in general, you know, because it's the journey that that we have at the end. It's, it's the journey. And that's what I try to help women and people enjoy the journey and be excited once they do hit that goal. I feel like sometimes when we hit a goal, we're like, okay, now what? It's like, no, let's celebrate it. Let's be happy for ourselves. Let's, let's soak in this moment and then be like, okay, what's next? But in a more excited way, like, let's do something else to grow and get better. Like what, what's next on the agenda? Uh, but really finding more joy in, in the journey and, and in the, and the end goal, whatever the end goal may be. What's your end goal? So this is, this is really changed. Like I feel like over the past few months, I really, I want to do this, like what I'm doing with you right now and speaking about my past and speaking about the steps that I've taken to get here. I want to just speak on a, on a large scale and just try to impact and touch as many people as I can. And I don't know what that looks like exactly. I don't know what that looks like. But again, I'm trying to enjoy the steps in the journey in the meantime and not think, oh, what, what is this end goal? You know? And I guess we could say that part of your end goal or part of the way you reach your end goal is through your business. Can you kind of discuss a bit what kind of motivated you to start a business and how did you begin to understand the the sort of system of how running a business works? Yeah. So if I'm being completely honest, the, one of the main reasons I wanted to start my own business is because I hate working for people. I just, I don't like in jobs, I don't like working for people. And that's just part of my personality. And if someone out there listening is like that, it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you, you know, any type of way. It just, you know, there are people out there that that are meant to work for themselves and like the entrepreneur type life. And that's okay. I will say that one of the biggest lessons that I've realized is that starting a business takes patience. So you have to be prepared to 
for it to take some time and to find your right audience. One of the biggest struggles that I've had is finding the right audience and honing in on a niche. You know, they, they always say, you know, to hone in on a niche. And for me, that was so hard and I'm still trying to narrow it down, but I'm one of those people. I'm like, I want to help everyone. I want to talk to everyone. I'm, I'm open to helping everyone, but at the end of the day, you'll end up helping less people. If if you're, you got to start somewhere, you got to start somewhere. So you could start branching out. I, you know, I'm, I work with a business coach. A lot of it is networking, 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 networking. I try to, whether it's virtual or in person, I try to just talk to as many people as I can. There's a group called Tennessee Women Connect here in Nashville that, you know, I go to a lot of their events and just creating relationships. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not big on like systems and, you know, as soon as I can, I'm going to hire someone to deal with that type of stuff. But in the meantime, it's like relationships and connections. And, you know, you work with one person and then they tell someone else about their experience. And then you have that word of mouth. And I know those, some of those practices are go back, go way back, but there's something to them, relationships, connections, word of mouth, all that good stuff. And that obviously, because I like to talk and I like to, you know, I'm a little extroverted that that's my favorite part about it. So you mentioned, take that first step. What would you consider your first step? Hmm. That's a great question. So I think my very first step was back when I was working for that vacation company, I I quit. I, I just quit. Something inside me was like, you need to leave and you need to reset your focus. And, you know, I I had to pick up another job in the meantime and whatnot, but that was just the first step. And I didn't know what was going to happen after that, you know, but it was a step towards the end goal. And even though it seems so far away, it's like, how is this going to help me? I'm not going to have money. You can't think about the logistics behind it. Sometimes you really just have to go with your intuition and your gut because that's trying to tell you something. It's trying to lead you closer to your purpose. And I think a lot of people, because of how society is, we ignore that gut feeling and we ignore our intuition a lot of times because it's not it's not the norm you know we it's not the norm to just quit your job and not really have a plan that's that's not advised by most people but that's i think that's really important in being an entrepreneur is to follow that gut and you mentioned going with your gut feeling how did you know for certain that they were other people around you that could sympathize with you and kind of connect with you on this type of problem? Because I think a lot of people, they deal with these issues because they think they're the only one going through this when they're not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like I mentioned earlier, I I am a very empathic person and I really, I feel other people's feelings, whether it's through social media or you know, the people that I'm with, I think social media was a big outlet, you know, seeing what other people are posting about, um, kind of opened my eyes to about these other people going through these struggles. And, you know, even when like in Nashville, I started thinking about people from my past that I went to high school with, 
I'm like, I bet they're going through that too. Like, I bet that's why they were acting this way or, or, you know, being this way. And I really think it, it, empathy is one of my so-called gifts, right? And I think that's why I have the responsibility to, to really pursue what I'm doing because I do have that gift of empathy. And for that reason, I need to do this and try to help people because I have that empathy. And what do you think helped to build this empathy within you? You know, I don't know the answer to that because I, I felt that even when I was young, I, I always just wanted to make sure everyone around me was okay. I didn't want to be too much for anyone because I could sense if my, if I could sense my parents were struggling in any way, like I didn't want to bother them. Um, so it really was just, I remember it from a very young age, having that empathy. It wasn't really until I started going through my own healing journey again, that I realized, okay, I need to use this empathy for this reason to, to really help other people. So I think the way that I've used my empathy has has changed over the years and has changed through my own journey. But I believe that it was always there for some reason. And that's why I think it was it's such a gift that I have. Yeah, I think it, I think that's why I think it's such a gift, because I, I, for as long as I could remember, I've had it. And from what I'm getting from all this is you tend to well, at, at the start, you were sort of a person that wouldn't put themselves first. You always put other people before yourself. And the big change that you had was, is you learned to put yourself first. And do you think, because what I'm getting from this all is that did your ability to get rid of your imposter syndrome kind of help to help deal with your eating disorders after? Well, I will say that my imposter syndrome has not gone away yet. <laughs> I'm, you know, I feel, I hope it goes away someday, but I don't know if that ever goes away. You know, I even read about people who are in positions of power and are super successful and have the money and have the skills and, you know, have everything to show for it, but they still deal with that imposter syndrome. And I think, because of the person that I am and because of my past, I, I do feel like I've, I've healed, but I feel like that's something I'm always going to struggle with is, you know, thinking that I'm not inferior to other people. That That's something, you know, I have to actively work on every single day. I do. I, I truly have to work on it every single day. When I asked you that question, how did you feel when I asked you that? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Did you send something? <laughs> yeah, because you said your imposter syndrome is always there. So do you feel it now while we're talking? How do you feel when you engage with people all the time? <sighs> yeah, I, I do. You know what? I feel like I felt the imposter syndrome before we hopped on the podcast. But as we're talking, because this does come so naturally to me and it does excite me and it, it fuels my my soul, ultimately, in these conversations and in speaking, I don't feel it as much. Like when I 
you know, I've been a fitness instructor for so many years. I always felt that imposter syndrome before a class. But once I was up there, it it goes away. And that's how I feel when I hop on stage and, and you know, speak or do a workshop of some sort for, for like a different company or something. I feel imposter syndrome until I get there and then I feel amazing. And then sometimes it actually comes out afterwards too. I'm like, oh, what did I say? What did I do? Um, but in the moment, it go it completely goes away. And when it comes to all these different sort of approaches, you, you did mention the vacations, but what about the your experience with diet pills? And there are also bulimics out there as well. Yeah. Saying, yeah. Those issues may need to be diagnosed differently because I'm just gonna be honest. I think I think, you know, I think everyone may have some eating disorders, but when you get into things like bulimia, you know, I kind of see it like you're inflicting pain on the body there because yeah. you're physically punishing yourself for eating then. It's not just getting mad. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, so I've had my own, ex- like I've kind of done a little bit of everything, just had like disordered eating in general. Sometimes it would be more so anorexia. Sometimes it would be bulimia. Diet pills were a very prominent thing that I took part in. You know, it it's scary. I think because the person who's in the situation, they don't see it as a problem or Maybe they do, but they try to ignore that. And I, I think it's really important, again, you know, really to raise awareness about that type of stuff because it does take the people who are related to and connected to this individual that has to do something about it. You know, that person, that person's not going to. It's They're not going to. And that's, that's so, it's so sad. You know, I had this experience in college, even when I was going through my own struggles, it was, it was a female who I had a few college courses with and I would see her at the gym as well. And we saw each other in the locker room at the gym. And I, for some reason, I could tell she was anorexic. You know, she, she showed all the signs of anorexia and I just said, Hey, like, is there anything like, I, like, are you okay? Like, and she actually broke down to me. She completely broke down to me, but sometimes it just takes one person to show like, Oh, Hey, I care about you and I'm here for you as opposed to like really sitting back and just letting it happen or enabling it in any sort of way. Just letting someone know who has an eating disorder, like, Hey, like, are you okay? Like what's going on? because she truly broke down to me and told me that she does have a problem. And we actually, in that moment, and I know it doesn't always happen this easily, but in that moment, we, I was sat with her when she called her parents and told them, but again, it doesn't always happen that easily, but I think it's really important for the people around the person who has eating disorder to step up to the plate, even if it's uncomfortable, because it will be uncomfortable. You know, a lot of life coaches will sometimes, you know, put on a front And what I'm getting from you is what I'm saying really is I don't really care about too many life coaches just helping people that don't even ask for it. You know, when you when you do it that way, I don't know how to explain it, but it shows to me that this is something that you genuinely feel like is your purpose to do. 
So yes. And I also think, you know, going off of that, a lot of life coaches, I worry sometimes just anyone who has influence or power or is prominent on social media even. And it's great to post like the highlights of your life. I I 100% condone that. Like, yes, post about your trip and your kids and the fun stuff that's all going on. But one thing that I like to do in my social media is to also talk about the not so good stuff. And just because I'm a coach doesn't mean that I don't have my struggles. And, you know, one of my business coaches actually was trying to tell me to push back, like pull back on the sharing the struggles of my life, because what people want to see is like the end result. And you know what I mean? And I'm just like, Ooh, but that's not who I am. (laughs) Like that's, that's not true for anyone. There's not one person who is just living life and everything's going perfectly for them. It's not true. It's not real. It's not authentic. And I am a big proud supporter of being authentic, you know, and if that turns some people off, then so be it, you know, then they're not meant to work with me. How did you sort of get out of that, that shell of being an inauthentic person? And and don't worry, you have me sold on you being authentic. (laughs) Ah, you know, it was so, it's so exhausting to be inauthentic. You know, it's just so exhausting to put on this front that isn't real. Again, I think during my healing journey, you know, that's when everything started to change and and also made me realize like, okay, I just, I am who I am and I have to be authentic. So it was just, in, I think in that period of time, the whole healing journey and um, working on myself is when I'm like, okay, I'm just going to show up as myself. And let's kind of jump more into your coaching because that's quite important. So from what I've heard, you tend to value one-on-one coaching. Why? You know, I've heard group coaching can get you more clients. Is it because you're more focused on actually helping people instead of just getting as many clients as you can and making lots of money? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many ways, like you said, to get more clients that people have told me about. But if something doesn't feel right to me, I'm not going to do it just because I'm going to make more money from it. Like, I I can't do it. I cannot do it. And my business coach probably, you know, I probably drive her crazy because I'm always like, I don't think I'm going to do that. And like, that doesn't, that's not to say I'm not open to, you know, my business coach's expertise because I am 100%. We definitely um, work together on some things, but you know, two things that I'm passionate about is I I do like helping groups, you know, just on a very surface level type of type of thing, just like talking about one topic, but I like to try to get clients out of that. And yes, again, to help them more one-on-one because group coaching can maybe strike up some excitement or strike something in a person to want to get help. 
but the one-on-one is where it's at. That's where you're actually going to see the changes and the differences in your clients and in the person. You know, I, I personally think everyone out there should get, should work with some sort of coach at some point in their life, whether that's a life coach, a wellness coach, you know, I think it's super, super important as well as a therapist. So what is your definition of a coach? And what do you think a coach can bring to the table that a therapist maybe can't? Yeah. So I always like to tell people that the difference between a therapist and a coach is that the therapist is going to dig more into your past, into your childhood traumas, but a coach will help you more so on the day-to-day. Like, okay, what do we do from here? They're not going to dig into the past. They're going to work on the present and the future. So they set you up for success in the future, but also give you the tools to deal with what's happening right here, right now. So what a coach really offers is tools. One thing that I work strongly with my clients on is developing daily habits, strong daily habits, especially a morning routine. I don't care who you are. I think everyone needs some time just for themselves in the morning without their phone, without any distraction. I say an hour, but if if all you got is 10 minutes, if you have a bunch of kids and, and a husband, and that's a little more difficult, 10 minutes, give yourself 10 minutes just to do something, whether that's listening to a book or listening to a podcast or meditating or taking a little stroll or drinking a warm cup of coffee just to yourself and just staying quiet. I think no matter who you are, that's that's key. And that's something that I work with my clients on a lot is daily habits. So that's one daily habit you mentioned, just sitting down and just sort of taking some time to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're really trying to tell people, you know, that's the important thing, just staying in the present moment. Is that mm-hmm. being still, being present, not looking ahead, not worrying about, you know, you may have a scary meeting coming up later or you may have a doctor appointment that you really don't want to go to later, but that's later, right? What you have is right now. So ground yourself. Just be grateful. Gratitude's a really, really big thing. You know, think about what you're grateful for that you do have, not what you don't have. And yeah, just just be still for a moment because your day's about to start and it's gonna probably get a little crazy. And we're gonna get into another business topic here. Uh you also do Enneagram typing calls. What is yeah, that? Yeah, the Enneagram. So have you ever heard of the Enneagram? Never. Okay, get out. So the Enneagram is um, it's a typing tool, a personality typing tool. And there's there's other typing personality typings out there. I don't know if you ever heard of them, like Myers-Briggs or the DISC assessment. I've heard of that one. Okay. So... The Enneagram, what's so cool about that and different, how the Enneagram differs from these other ones is that the other ones are based on your core, are based on your behaviors, not necessarily who you are as a person. The Enneagram is based on your core motivations, your core desires, um, and your core fears. And they actually do not change. So it's a, it's a typing from, you could either be, any number from one to nine. And that tells you, again, it goes into your core desire, your core motivation, your core fears. And 
it really is such an amazing tool to help you grow because you're like, okay, I am the way I am because this is this is my Enneagram number. So I'll give you an example to make it make more sense. I am a type three on the Enneagram. So the type three is they is nicknamed the achiever. And the core desire of a type three is to be kind of have a sense of worth and to be appreciated and loved for their achievements. Their core fear is that they won't achieve enough and that if they don't achieve, they're going to be worthless, which probably makes sense going back to our whole discussion today and how I am. What? Everything is coming together. Yeah, right, right. So that's why when I when I realized what my Enneagram type was, and I kind of realized this a few years back because I was reading into Enneagrams a little bit. And then I went through a period of time where I'm like, I don't like these because they box you in. I thought like any of those personality testings kind of box you in. Yep, there it is. Yep. And if you notice how the lines are on that Enneagram, you you go to a different number in times of growth and stress. And I won't get into all that because it could get kind of confusing. But you know, like if I look at my three, I go towards a nine in stress. So I become closed off, distant. I kind of become more like slothy and lazy because I just avoid, I try to avoid everything. But in growth, I go towards a six. And what that means is I become more efficient and I um, become more organized and all that good stuff. So um, you could actually see the three going towards the nine and the six on that. So it's like a little chart. But when I realize, like, okay, I'm a three, I'm like, holy smokes, like this explains so much about me. And now I know where to go from here. I know where I can grow. And being aware of where I go to in stress and in growth is super, super helpful. Now, there's so many Enneagram tests that you could take online. And I do have all of my um, clients for typing calls Take the te- take a test before I go jump on a call with them, but they're they're only sixty percent accurate those tests. So having that typing call and sitting down with someone who could ask more qualifying questions, and again because of who I am, I'm very empathic and I'm really good at reading people. That's why I, I love doing the typing call so much. Is you know I could ask those qualifying questions, just really get to know the person on a deeper level, so then I could accurately type them. So I remember when I saw that diagram, you're an achiever, and it said it connected well to something else called a loyalist, another thing called a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And it made like a, a perfect triangle from what I saw. So yeah, in certain situations, according to this, this uh, Enneagram, Enneagram. Uh, you could be a loyalist or a peacemaker at times. Forgive me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're, you're spot on. So yeah, during periods of, I mean, the way that that works is if I go towards a nine, I don't necessarily take on the good qualities of the peacemaker. So I, the peacemaker becomes very lazy and shuts off during their, their times of stress. And that's what a three does in times of stress. Now the loyalist is where I go to in growth. So I become very loyal. I become very efficient. I, 
I like to, you know, kind of be more systematical if that makes sense. But that's where, and every number has another number that they go to in stress and in in growth. That makes a lot of sense because as human beings, we do sometimes change in order to deal with different situations. Mm -hmm. Like if you take a test and they say you have a happy personality, you know, you're not always going to be happy. Like what at a funeral, you know, what happens then? Yeah. This is why I don't understand certain things like optimist and pessimist. Like I don't understand how you could be happy or negative all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's 100% true. And that's why I love the Enneagram so much is because it definitely touches on where you are during those sad times or those upset times or those stress times. It's not just like, oh, all these great things, rainbows and butterflies. It actually gives you areas to work on. And when you read it, when you find out more about your type, it's like, okay, like I do get very lazy and shut off when I'm stressed out and I don't want to deal with the world. So what can I do when I realize that I'm going into these patterns? What can I do? And then you work through those. And that's why I love using the Enneagram coaching, not only just to type people and get to know them better, but also to use it for the clients that I do have because it helps me understand them better and how to coach them better because I'm not going to tell someone who is a type three like me, I'm not going to tell them, okay, you need to do this. You need to do that. I can't be very firm with them because I don't take well to that. And a three won't take very well to that because they're already so hard on themselves. So I have to take a different approach with a three than I would, let's say, a nine, you know, every every type I need to take a different approach with. And you think this gives you sort of an edge over other coaches when it comes to really, because I think a big component to being a good coach is just simply understanding the client. You think these types of tests give you sort of that edge? Yeah, I really, really think the Enneagram does give me an edge because And it not only helps me understand someone better, it helps me explain to the client how to understand themselves better. So then they can become more efficient as I'm coaching them because they're like, oh, this is, this is why I do this. So I'm more aware of it now. And this is what I can do in those situations and in those moments. So it not only helps me understand the person better, it helps the person understand themselves better. So can you kind of give me one specific success story and maybe their Enneagram test as well. A success story. So someone you've worked with. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yes. So I had a client a few months back who she's single in her 40s, kind of unable to find her purpose. She just kind of feels a little lost going through the motions as a lot of clients who do come to me do feel. They kind of feel like they're just going through the motions. And I, one of her passions used to be drawing, you know, and she just, she just hasn't done it because she hadn't been feeling it. She hasn't been feeling herself. I mean, and it's been years and years since she was drawing. And I worked with her, you know, daily habits, going through some of the coaching practices that I use. 
And she just started finding herself more. She she took that time for herself in the morning and got more connected with who she was as a person. And that's kind of what it's all about. It's about reconnecting with yourself and giving yourself that time and space and quiet to and creativity to figure out, okay, this is who I really am. And she's drawing like crazy now. (laughs) She is drawing so much. She's always sending me pictures that she drew. And I don't work with her anymore, but she's still sending over pictures that, that she does. And her work is beautiful. And, you know, it's something just little like that. Like if nothing else, if you just start finding your creativity again and doing something that sets your soul on fire, you know, that's, that's worth it to me. That's completely worth it to me. So that's just, that's one that that just kind of came to the top of my mind that I like to tell people about. Great story. But what was her Enneagram type? Her Enneagram type was a I keep on pronouncing that. Enneagram. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> if you never saw it before, it's like, what is that? Um, she was a six Enneagram. So she was the loyalist. So a type six has one of their core differentiators is that they have a an inner committee going on. And I like to tell, use the example of the movie Inside Out. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like a Pixar movie. And basically this little girl has all these different emotions going on in her head and they're controlling her. And that's basically where the movie takes place is inside her head. Really cute movie. Yeah. 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 So the type six has an inner committee going on where they're like, there's just, I don't like to say voices, but kind of voices. And there's one here, one there, and they're kind of pulling the person in different directions. And they're very, they're, they have the highest anxiety out of all the types. They feel like the world is kind of unsafe and they really desire protection and and whatnot. So for a six, it's really important to quiet quiet those voices. And again, that's why having that morning routine and sitting still with yourself and you know, reading a book to distract yourself from all the voices going on and just be here in the in the now. And that's why that morning routine that I developed for her did did a world of difference before we even dug into the other work. Excellent. You have a website, right? I have a website and an Instagram. Great, great. And when it came to building, so, oh, and this is kind of a different question. We'll get to the website soon, but how is it building your social media platform? Did it come naturally to you? No, <laughs> not at all. I am still working on all of that. I've actually been spending like the past like two weeks doing a lot of like research on how to build Instagram. I'm actually going to be hiring someone soon to work on my website because again, I'm not good at that stuff. And, you know, I read, I listen to podcasts and read books on personal development and people in business. And they always say for the things that you are not talented in and just not good at to hire someone else to do that when, and if you can, because it just takes your energy and time away from what it is you you do bring to the table and you are good at, you know, I'm good at my coaching. I'm good at connecting with people. I'm good at helping people. But when it comes to the technical stuff, it's a challenge that, and that's been the, the biggest challenge in, in this whole thing. I think I have a technical team. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So can you kind of, okay, so this is the first page. Is this just a page that? Yeah. Stuff? Yeah. My website. Yeah. There's really not many pages to it. It's there's the bio and then the, the front page and there is a services page, but I am working on actually utilizing Instagram a little more and kind of getting a link tree on there to put all my services on there. We didn't really talk about movement that much. I think we talked about health, but you said you're into fitness too, right? Yeah, I am. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, it wasn't for the right reasons, but moving your body is crucial. And it's it's really important to get the right mindset towards movement, though, because if you look at movement as just a way to lose weight and gain some muscle and get, get a six pack or something like that, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And once you hit those goals, you're going to feel completely unfulfilled. We have to look at movement as a celebration of our bodies, a way to release endorphins to improve our mood and just get us ready and excited for the day. Because that's what happens after you exercise. You're always in a good mood. You get in a better mood. You get to clear your you clear your head a little more, and you're just more open to you know good things after you work out. So movement is is crucial. It really is. Speaking of celebration, do you think self care? And mindset are also a part of that too. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it all goes back to gratitude. You know, if if you're not practicing gratitude daily, then then it's gonna be really hard to do any of these things because you're not gonna see it for the for the greater good of yourself. You're just gonna be doing it more so like, oh, I have to do this. But yeah, I think it, when, when we look at ourselves and, and be like, okay, we get to expand our minds and we get to expand our connections in the world and we get to, we get to do this, we get to do that, then life starts changing for you when, when you have that mindset. So how do you use your blogs now to kind of help relay information to your community? Do you have a blog page? Yeah, I do. And I go through phases of posting on the blog and then I go through phases of not posting on the blog. I try not to push, I try not to use my blog as like, oh, you have to put out this many blog posts. You know, I just use it when I'm feeling creative and called to do that. And I get pretty raw and real in my blogs. So it's not all rainbows and butterflies on my blog. I definitely use it as a space to share my scary thoughts going on. <laughs> well, that's another, I think, aspect that makes you stand out from other coaches. You you seem to pull a lot of energy into your blogging as well, which I think is pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love it. I, I love writing. I really love writing. And your most recent blog post, can you kind of give a bit of a gist of what that is so people kind of know what they're getting into? Yeah. So let's see. Yeah. If you could scroll up quick. Yeah. So hard things you need to hear. Yes. I believe that this one, so hard things you need to hear is about, I think, taking action on our feelings. You know, it we... 
it's our responsibility to seek out a coach and hire a coach. It's our responsibility to put in the, to let maybe set our alarm an hour earlier the next day. It's our responsibility to get out of our own comfort zone to grow. You know, no one at the end of the day, no one is necessarily going to come in and rescue you. So sometimes we do have to just be like, okay, like, let's go. I got this. Let's just take the first step. Let's hire the coach or let's just set our alarm one hour earlier tomorrow. Like, let's just do it. So that's what that blog post is about. Okay. So let's, yeah, just scroll up a bit. I want to see the rest of the pages. Okay, so you could also make your own account. So you want people to comment and engage you as well? Yeah, I do love that. I really do love that. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but I, you know, I'm all about talking to people and connecting with people. So I definitely encourage that. Um, some of my blog posts are a little deeper than that one. You know, they're more about, you know, when I actually was going through my breakup, I actually posted you know, some of my feelings on that. I post about my fears. I post about, you know, more deep things. So that's good to know. That's good to know. So is this, are these the main two big things? Your website is mainly to kind of leverage your blog and kind of to just show mm-hmm. where people can contact yeah. you. It's a networking website. Right. Yeah. The ins- my Instagram is what I'm trying. Like I said, like it's been a process for me, the whole technical stuff, but I'm trying to use my Instagram as my main source. I'm actually just like got in the process of creating a link tree where people could go in and book any service in there, whether it's the typing call or um, by using, I use Calendly for that for the typing calls and the one-on-one discovery. I do discovery calls before I work with anyone just to, it's just a 15 minute free call where I could just chat with the person and see if we're a good fit for each other, see what they're looking for. So I am trying to transition to my Instagram being one of my main sources. Okay. Okay. And main sources for what exactly? Are you going to use that to sort of sell your courses or your products in the future? Are you going to use that more to, just show your blogs to maybe a wider audience. Yeah, I think I think honestly a little bit of everything. I am going to use it because I'm hoping, like, of course, in the future to do maybe some sort of like course that I could sell, something like that, and you know, to offer my one-on-one coaching. Again, I'm work. I've been working with this one girl. She's been helping me a little bit to learn how to get more traction from Instagram by doing reels and posts like that. I'm actually thinking about doing some live posts, you know, just to get my thoughts out and, you know, cover a topic that maybe I talk about a lot with my clients that people seem to be interested in. So yeah, kind of, kind of use as my business page. So I think we're coming to an end on this interview. It was a great talk. Yeah. One final question. If you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, Mm. what would you tell her? I would tell her to chill out. Everything will be okay. I was always just so worried about what was to come. And even if there was nothing to worry about, I would find something to worry about. And, you know, 
struggles come. They they come for everyone, not not just her. You know, everyone's going through something, and I just well, yeah, I would tell her just calm down, chill out. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. All right. Yeah. I am Jimbo Paris, and this is the Jimbo Paris Show. Make sure you go online and buy Allison Roberts' book. That's a great book. It's a lot on self-improvement as well. So, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Jimbo Paris Show. 